Well, it is nice to be back here. Uh, I enjoyed the last time I was here, and so I've looked very much forward to coming back. And I know that God does have good things. Um, he just is that way. He has a good reputation for having good things, eh? <clears throat> but during our time together, I, um, uh, he, he put it in my heart. He's going to refuel and encourage those people that have prayed, and he's going to activate people that didn't really uh, know you could or have a place in prayer. And there's going to be people that are activated. Something is going to start turning and, uh, and it's going to start really working on the inside. I love it when he does things like that. It's going to happen. So I'm really glad you're here. Um, your church has been a blessing to Tony and I. Uh, Brenda was telling you, you know, we've been around here or there in uh, a couple, two or three continents. And <clears throat> just trying them all out. <laughs> Got a few more to go. No, really, we, um, we love where we are in, in Australia. And I never, ever thought I'd be in Australia. A lot of times people, you know, they'll say, oh, Australia is on, on my bucket list or something. But actually, I never even thought even to visit there. And then, uh, but the Lord did. And so it, we really enjoy being there. But your church has been a blessing to, to uh, what Tony and I've been doing for a long time. And uh, I know we're not the only ones, but you, you, your church has a heart bigger than yourself. Uh, your heart, you have a heart of the bay, but you actually have a heart of God, church, and uh, which is a, a big heart, giving heart. And so thank you so much. Uh, we've, we've now been in Australia for uh, nearly 10 years. Uh, October will be 10 years. How did that happen? I don't know. But anyway, uh, and um, Lily was three months old when we moved to Italy. And um, she she did get married this last year, and she and her husband, we love her husband. And um, I went back with her dad, 39 years, his dad, 39 years. We were friends, traveled with Brother Hagen. I never knew his son would marry my daughter. And uh, But it, we adore him, and they're so, I'm just so happy to see her. I haven't seen her in a long, long time. And... Uh, Soon after she got married, then our youngest daughter uh, moved to China. She'll be there for a couple years. And so suddenly, and we, and we gave the dogs away because we're not ever home. I know. Who wants to say, oh, again, reach your hands out toward me, you know. <clears throat> it was a big deal. So uh, our house is, has changed a lot. Um, but Jesus is still the same. He's so wonderful. And... Uh, but anyway, uh, it's just nice to be here with your pastors. Uh, we, we love them and uh, always have such a good time, a good time in God. I remember in, at Kindle the Flame meetings and your wild pastor's wife here <laughs> laying hands on people to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I got to go with her down that line. I like the, I like the fire of God in your pastors, don't you? So, so much. And I tell your, your pastor's testimony a lot because I remember he went to Ramah after he just got saved. And, um, yeah. Whoa, Nelly. I'm so glad he got saved. While you, 
while while Brenda and I were growing up Pentecostal, um, my husband and your pastor were growing up awful. <laughs> and Jesus saved them so that we could marry them, hey? So good. But anyway... Um, we we have a bible we have a bible school in brisbane and then what we call outposts we've got three of them in other parts of the country and um you know australia is about the same landmass as america but they only have 20 nearly 24 million people it's not very many people and a lot of wide open spaces and so we've got what we call outposts and then we have two bible schools in in papua new guinea and this is where uh, you guys want to come. The Papuans would love your pastors. They uh, are quite animated in their worship. And uh, uh, they love the gospel. They respond a lot to the gospel. when they. It's not an uncommon thing when they, they worship. I don't know why. I don't know what why. But they, they'll grab plants and they just start, you know, praising with, with plants. Or they grab a chair It's just great. So, from cannibal to Holy Ghost people, it's just quite an amazing transformation. What the Word of God! Aren't you thankful that the Word of God changes our lives when we when we take it? Can you just lay your hand on your Bible or your mobile device, whatever you you read the Word with? And we're going to pray. Thank you, Father God, for the the Word of God. We open it again today. There may be people here today that have never really read your word. Uh, and, and this will be like a wonderful introduction to the best book that has ever been authored by God. And then there may be people here that have read it for years. Father, I thank you for the splendor of your word. That when we do open it, we know that it is our creator, God, talking to us. And so we listen to it. We, we yield to it. We ask you that through it we could know the living word better today. Oh, how we request that. That Jesus be real to us. That we know how to walk and live with you. In a real practical way, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Praise God. Now let's open them up. We're going to open to an interesting portion of Scripture, to Luke, the 23rd chapter. And while you're going there, I want to remind you of a verse of Scripture that's familiar to us in Galatians 6, 9, that says, Paul said this to that whole church, he said, you will reap. And it wasn't just the end of the sentence right there. He said, you will reap if you faint not. Well, reaping is wonderful. Uh, I was raised, like uh, Brenda said, in, in um, a pastor's home. My dad pastored in Burlington, Colorado, which is way out in the agricultural area and the, the men of our church were primarily farmers and um, the whole point of having a farm and planting 
and watering and doing all the cultivating, everything that was, was necessary was for the reaping, was for the harvest. Everything is for the harvest. So this verse of scripture says, you will reap if you faint not. God wants us to reap. The word of God is seed. The promises of God are seed. They're not just for us to learn as a memory verse or, uh, you know, collect other, collect all kind of verses and doctrines and stuff. It's actually to produce something. Everything you hear is to produce something in your life. Make a difference in your life. Make a difference in the life of your family, in your community, where we live, this nation. Wherever you pray, God wants a harvest to make a difference. The seed, the word of God, is his will. It's what he wants. And so every promise that he gives us, it's not just to make us feel better and, oh, wouldn't that be nice. They're actually things that God wants to take place in your life. What's nice is that the promises are so we, we're singing it. They're, they're good. They're wonderful. God wants good things to happen in our life. And for those things to happen, he plants seed. He gives us a promise. And um, he fully, fully desires that those seeds produce a harvest. Well, um, if it were just that easy... You know, we could just close our Bibles right now and go home. But there's actually some instruction in the Bible. Because after the planting of a seed, between the planting of a seed and the harvesting of it, that is God's will, there's someone who does not want that seed to produce a harvest in your life. Because if it does, it is for God's glory and his undoing. And that's the devil. Anything, anything that happens in your life of the will of God coming to pass undoes his will, which is to steal, kill, and destroy, not just your life, but through your life. So he doesn't want God's promises coming to pass, and he'll do everything he can do to get you to faint. So we're going to just talk about some of these things with regard to prayer. Because knowing about it, then you won't think something's wrong with you or something's unique with you. No. This is just the way things are. And so God gives us some wonderful teaching. Uh, uh, Jesus gives us some wonderful uh, instruction that we're going to look at today. Now, in Luke, the 23rd chapter, years ago, there was a woman uh, that Brother Hagen respected very much, and she was a prophet, and um, uh, Jeannie Wilkerson, she's been in heaven quite some time now, but I heard her minister one time, and it greatly affected me, um, but I forgot it. Did anyone ever hear a great sermon, you forgot it for a while? I just said that last part, you know, so that everybody knows that, hey, we're all human, but Jesus said this, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would, one of the job descriptions of the Holy Spirit would be to remind us of things that he told us. 
So uh, here, not too long ago, he reminded me of that sermon that I was greatly affected by but forgot. And I don't know, it had to have been probably at maybe 25 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. And this is what it is. She called it, she called it back then, the intercession of Satan. That sounds almost like a spooky movie, doesn't it? But I want you just to see these uh, these portions of Scripture. If you look uh, look in Luke, and let me get there, Luke twenty three. Now the setting here is Pilate's judgment hall. Jesus has been brought to Pilate, and uh, he is to rule in this trial, give a verdict of what to do, and um, uh, what's going to happen to Jesus. And so we're going to pick this up in verse four. So Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, after he had, you know, heard their case against Jesus, um, I find no fault in this man. You know what? Let's just take just one moment to just be thankful there is no fault in that man. He could find no fault because there is no fault. And uh, I find no fault in this man. But now look at the gavel. Even though it did come down, this was Pilate's verdict. It wasn't the end of the story. Because verse 5 says, but they were more fierce. Say more fierce. Sometimes uh, things become more fierce. Saying he stirs up the people. Then I want you to see, um, if you'll look at verse 10. Pilate sent him then to Herod. And Herod also heard these complaints against him. Verse 10 says, And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Have you ever had any uh, accusation or an attack against your life that was vehement? Maybe it was symptoms in your body or something in your finances or against your family, your marriage, something. It, was, it wasn't just casual. It was vehement. But anyway, vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Well, what was his verdict? Well, uh, it says here in verse 14... In verse 14, uh, you have brought this people, or you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man. He said the same thing back in verse 4. Concerning the things which you accuse him. No, indeed, uh, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. So not only did Pilate acquit him now twice, but also did Herod. Okay, let's go on and let's look at, let's look at verse um, 18. And it says here, well, let's pick up verse 15, uh, 16. I will therefore chastise him and release him. So he says, this is my sentence. I will chastise him just to appease you guys, and I will release him. Verse 18, they all, they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. 
Now uh, you see that they're not giving up. After they, after the crowd keeps raising their voice, they will not give up. Verse 20, Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. So again, he's trying to, to let Jesus go. This is like over and over and over again. Verse 21, but they shouted, saying, crucify him, crucify him. So they've become now not just against him. Now they're calling not only for his death, but even crucifixion. And at verse 22, he said the third time, why? What evil has he done? I find no reason for death in him. Again, he says, I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Verse 23, but they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. Now look at this last phrase. The voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed prevailed so this is a perfect example of what something prevailing looks like but the last word these people had the last word finally you know Pilate acquiesced to what they were insisting on and Jesus was crucified in this instance here uh, the will of God was done thank the Lord but what we want to see is that they got their way because they would not give up. They got their way because when Pilate said, um, I'm going to release him, they got more vehement. They got more urgent. They got more persistent. And what they desired prevailed. So we're going to talk about prevailing prayer. Because if we can have this kind of tenacity in prayer prevail over things that say, uh-uh, it won't be, it can't be, it's impossible, not for you, maybe for somebody else, but not for you. And you can prevail over that. You know what? You'll reap. You'll reap. So let's look at another Example in the Bible, please, if you'll go to uh, if you'll go to first Kings 18. And I like this story. First Kings 18. This is a story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And um, it's a great, great story. But the way that this chapter starts out is that God tells Elijah a promise. It said, after it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. In the third year, what that means is it's been three years drought. Saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. Sounds like a promise to me. God wanted to send rain. And so he gives a promise to Elijah. So Elijah went and, and he met with Ahab throughout this, this chapter. But we don't see anything more about rain for a little while. What did happen is a confrontation between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. Elijah was saying, Jehovah God is Lord. 
and the prophets of Baal were all con confused and it led the people of God into confusion. Nobody knew who was God. They were worshiping Baal and they were teeter-tottering. And so Elijah said, enough is enough. If Baal is God, worship him. If God is God, worship him. We're going to decide today. Whichever God answers by fire, let him be God. So, uh, you know the story. Uh, they were all there, and, and the, the prophets of Baal started praying around their altar and praying that Baal send fire. Well, no fire came, and so they hyped it up a bit and cut themselves, and blood gushed. It was a very demonstrative thing. Still no fire. Finally, the evening sacrifice time, Elijah builds, rebuilds the altar of God, and then he builds an altar with 12 stones, puts a bullock on there as, as a sacrifice, pours water on it, uh, and, uh, and fills up the whole, uh, the whole sacrifice with water, drenches it, fills up a trench around the, the altar with water, and then he, be he begins to pray. And it doesn't even say he prays long. Now, there wasn't even a promise about fire this day. There's nothing that God said nothing about fire. All he did say was rain, that there would be rain. And so Elijah prays a prayer. And here came fire. And so, uh, you know, he had drenched he drenched the sacrifice with water so there was no way that there could have been some, you know, the light of a little sleight of hand and poking, poking some fire in there. This was going to be totally supernatural. And when it did happen, fire actually did come out of heaven. And everybody saw fire come down from heaven. That would make CNN and Fox News and ABC and every kind of news. Wouldn't that be amazing? Fire came down from heaven and it burned up the, the sacrifice. It obliterated the rocks and licked up all the water that was in the trench. And the people were just amazed and they were saying, the Lord, he's God. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. Well, still no rain. And that's the only thing God had promised. So it's a very dramatic day. But nothing that God had promised had happened quite yet. And so if you'll go on down in this chapter here, down, 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 if you will look here into verse number um, 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of the abundance of rain. Well, if there was a sound of it, it wasn't in anybody's ears but Elijah's. And the only sound that was in Elijah's ears was the, was the memory and the resonance of the promise that he had gotten in verse 1. And so if it, he says this. <clears throat> He says in verse 43, he said to his servant, go now and look toward the sea. And we see in the verse before that he w had went up to pray, put his head between his knees and to pray. I think, you know, why he put his head between his knees, he wanted to block everything else out. Sometimes the reason why we pray with our eyes closed is not because just somebody said, please bow your head and close your eyes. 
Sometimes you close, you, you don't have to cl- pray with your eyes closed. You don't have to. But sometimes you do because it does block everything else out. He did a double whammy here and he put his head between his knees so he couldn't see anybody else around him. And so he, he said, go check and see what's happening. Go up now and look to the sea. So he went up and looked and said, oh my, we better get out of here. It's about to flood. Is that what it says? He said, there is nothing. Can we all say those wonderful words? There is nothing. Let's say it again. There is nothing. It doesn't sound like reaping, does it? It sounds like the opposite of reaping. There is nothing. And so uh, what he does, he doesn't say, well, I guess that promise wasn't for today, or I guess, I, I guess I'm not the person that is, this is supposed to come to pass through. He doesn't give up, but instead he went up and looked and, uh, and told his servants, uh, servant to go seven times, told him to go again. Verse 44, it came to pass the seventh time that he said there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now, it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So he reaped on that promise that he got in verse one. What we want to see is the reaping of promises is not automatic. If this was true, if it's going to happen, it's going, it'll just happen. No, it won't. Some people have said, well, you know, if, if God wants something to happen, it will. In some Bible other than the one that's on your lap. The examples in the Bible are not that and do not support that kind of thought. If God wants it to happen, it will. No. What God does is he tells us what he wants to happen. It's called a promise. And then we take that promise. Will it just automatically come to pass? No, I want you to remember what we started off with today. When that comes to pass, God's will in heaven done on earth like we were singing today, it is the undoing of our enemy, the devil. And it's to the glory of God. Those kind of things aren't going to just be handed to you on a platter. God gives us a promise and then there is this perseverance and prevailing that we got as an example, uh, uh, you know, from, from Jesus' trial, a prevailing. Circumstances, after you stand on a promise, can sometimes say no. And you stand more further on those promises. And circumstances may vehemently say no. Anybody ever heard any vehement contradictions to a promise? Vehemently say no. And then you stand further on that promise. And it doesn't just mean that the devil is going to hightail out of there and circumstances just bow down. Sometimes, bam, presto, alakazam. <laughs> Don't we like answers to prayer like that, you know? Zzz. 
But, uh, but this isn't a fairy tale and it's not, it's not hocus pocus. It, it is an actual, actuality of bringing God's will into this earth and manifesting it for his glory in this earth. Praise the name of the Lord. And so the devil doesn't just let you have that. He doesn't just want your relatives leaving his kingdom and getting into the kingdom of God. He doesn't just want that people's bodies be able to function normally and gloriously for the, for the glory of God. No, he's not going to just hand that over. When you stand on a promise, he's not going to just say, Oh, I always steal, killed, and destroyed, but <laughs> I guess I won't anymore. Your standing on the promise does not change that he will always be awful and always try to steal and kill and destroy. And if he can get you to faint and bend over and let loose of a promise just because there's a contradiction to it, then you won't, you won't faint or that you won't reap. All right, so let's look at another thing from the scripture and see what the Bible has to say about this. If you'll go to Matthew, the 15th chapter. Matthew 15. When Jesus went out from there, in verse 21, and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon, behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. So the woman was discouraged and went home and told her sister-in-law, I'm so discouraged, he didn't even listen to me. That's not what it said. He didn't answer a word, but, and his, and on top of that, his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. So evidently she was making a deal about this. He answered and said to her, to the woman, I am not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So basically this lady, you know, cause she was from, a, she was not an, uh, she was not a Jew. She was from, uh, she was a Syrophoenician and, um, he, he was basically saying, lady, I can't, even though you want me to, I can't minister to your daughter because you're out of my jurisdiction as far as my assignment. I'm to minister only to Israel, only. At the end, you know, of course, uh, uh, his life of obedience led him up to the cross and his work of redemption was for everybody. Thank God. Anybody, any non-Jew in here glad that... Yeah. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. But his earthly ministry was in a very prescribed area and he was obedient to God to stay in his jurisdiction. He was obedient to stay with the mission that God had sent him to earth on. So he said, you're not in. I can't help you. And that didn't just stop there. She came and worshiped him. Do you see how she's just persistent? 
it's, the world has words like pest <laughs> or whatever. She came and worshipped him. She wasn't just asking him anymore, requesting. She's now worshipping him, worshipping him and saying, Lord, help me. And he answered her. All right. Now that you put it that way, I will. No, it got even worse. He said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And then she put a lawsuit on him. <laughs> no, she didn't. Isn't that amazing? She said, yes, Lord. Look at how she turned this around. She said, okay. And I know this sounds weird to us, you know, especially in, in our society. You'd never call you know, a group of people, a dog. You just don't do that. Well, but anybody that was a non-Jew uh, were not the people that God was working with. He worked with the Jewish nation to actually get to the rest of the nations. And so where it had to do uh, with the Jewish people, anybody outside of the Jewish nation were classified as dogs. And my Anybody would have been huffy puffy. Somebody would have. I thought you were nice. I thought you were kind. I saw you do nice things for other people. And you're calling me a do She doesn't do any of that. Do you know offense is one of the fastest ways to pull the plug on strength and make you fall flat before you receive the promise? Let's not, let's not be uh, silly. Let's not be silly when, um, when we get a promise of God and, and think that the devil won't find some way, some way to knock us off that block. You'll get mad at your kids. You'll get mad at the neighbors. Somebody will act out at work. Somebody will do something to you. Somebody will say something to you, and it'll make you mad. And once we do that, we get out of faith, and out of faith, we don't receive the promise. Let's just pass up opportunities to get mad. I'm going to say that one again. Let's pass up opportunities to get mad. Receiving the promise is just too valuable. And so we see what this woman said. She said, yes, Lord, you got a point there. I am outside of the, tri the house of, of Israel. And so I am in that category. Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs that, which fall from their master's table. You're not getting rid of me. Do you know her faith? Guys, listen. If this pulpit represents the earth ministry of Jesus, which was just 33 years which was just to the, to the house of Israel. She wasn't in that. She was out here. Her faith and persistence in faith enabled her to reach inside, reach inside of something that Jesus was going to do at the end of his earth ministry for the whole world, was able to reach inside something that hadn't even taken place yet, and partake of a healing that was going to belong to the whole human race. Amazing. 
She said this. Or he, he went on to say, then Jesus answered and said to her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that hour. There were only two people in Jesus' whole earth ministry that he commended their faith. And she was one of them. He said, woman, I like your faith. I like it. Faith is a hand that receives from God. And just because she wasn't in here to receive didn't mean she didn't have a hand. She was able to receive from God. Well, I want you to go on then to one other portion of Scripture, and then we're going to comment on this. Go to, uh, go to Luke, the 18th chapter. Jesus is instructing us on prayer. Jesus had every prayer answered. Jesus had perfection in prayer. That means he, got, he reaped everything that he ever prayed. And so, boy, when you, when you have a prayer like that, somebody that is perfect in prayer, powerful in prayer, you'd be tempted to just say, Jesus, you pray for me. I turn my prayer request into you. You're doing a fine job. But actually, uh, when Jesus ever taught on the subject of prayer, uh, it wasn't what he was doing. Okay, this is how I pray. This is what I do. When Jesus ever taught on the subject of prayer, he said, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. Don't you like that? You know what that shows us? Is that anybody can pray. Anybody can pray. Everybody has equal access to the throne. Nobody is excluded. Nobody is held out. There is nobody that has greater access than you. And you may not be taking full advantage. I haven't taken full advantage that I have access to the throne. I doubt that any of us have taken full advantage. But what Jesus wants every person in this room to know is that everyone has a privilege of prayer and they also have the blessed right of prayer. We can all come boldly to the throne of God. So Jesus said in, in Luke, the 18th chapter, he said this. He spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. He gives a parable here about a woman that went to a judge and would not give up in asking for, uh, uh, for help from that judge uh, until he gave in. And I want you to see in verse 6, it says, hear what the unjust judge says. Verse 5, back up to hear what he said. This is what the judge said. Because this woman troubles me, I will avenge her, lest her continual coming. Can you say continual coming? That she weary me. Well, notice what Jesus went on to say then in verse 8. I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. He's talking about his own father right then. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When I used to read this verse of Scripture, it seemed like Jesus was talking, talking along about this parable, and he was even talking about persistent prayer. And then suddenly in this verse, this last verse that I read, he changes the subject and talks about faith. 
about persistent prayer, about persevering in prayer, about prevailing prayer, about perpetual prayer, prayer that will not give up, will not take no for an answer. And then suddenly he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Did he change subjects? No, he did not change subjects. He's saying exactly what a characteristic of faith is. Faith rejoices. Faith speaks. Faith sees the end. But another characteristic of faith that Jesus is looking for is a faith that will not give up. When Jesus comes, will he find faith? Will he find faith in Oakland? Will he find faith in, in Heart of the Bay Church? Will he find faith in you? The characteristic of faith that he's looking for here is not just a natural stubbornness, because that is an indication and a symptom of pride. But the characteristic of faith that will not give up or give in can only come when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You humble yourself to that promise that God gave you. You look at it, you look at that promise, and you say, doesn't look like it's come to pass, don't see how it can. But I choose to believe it. And you humble yourself under that word. No one else, no one else may be encouraging you. No one else may say, yes, it could ha happen or it could come to pass. It doesn't matter if the whole world is saying one thing. If God is given a word, if God is given a promise, you humble yourself under that word. And that promise will not only be over you, but his hand will be under you and lift you up. When you humble yourself under the promises of God, what it does is make you, in a holy way, mean. Praise the Lord. So if the devil says, no, you're not having it, instead of whining and moving into, oh, I don't know where I'm so some Instead, you take a, a, a pose like our father Abraham over a passage of time that his promise didn't come to pass for his son. He gave glory to God. And the Bible says his faith grew stronger. When you humble yourself under that promise, look at that promise again and say, nope, it hadn't changed. It hadn't changed. I'm going to humble myself to it. I'm going to believe it. Praise the name of the Lord. I know this, guys. There's some things that God wants to happen on earth that he's willed in heaven. The thoughts and the plans that he has for you are good. Well, if they, if he really has them, if they're real God's thoughts, then they'll just happen. No, they won't. The thoughts and the plans that he has for you are good. They're not evil to do you good and to give you a good end. He needs you to believe them. He needs you to believe them in the face of everything saying no of your feelings being hurt, and of your feelings uh, thinking this is terrible, of you getting discouraged. 
Instead, staying under the hand of God, His grace lifts you up. Staying under the hand of God, your prayer then becomes inspired, the persistence of your prayer becomes inspired not by the problem. That may have been the reason why you first prayed. There was a problem, so you decided to pray and come to God, and God gave you a promise. If your prayer is connected, if your prayer is connected to the problem and the existence of your problem, your prayer is going to conk out. But if your prayer is plugged in to the purpose, the plan, the promises of God, then the resources of God will come through your prayer and then your prayer directed to that situation won't be fueled and funded by your own tenacity, by your stubbornness, and by you saying, no, I want this. It will not just be you. It will be thus saith the Lord. Keep your prayers plugged in to God. And when you look back at that thing, it may not have changed. It may still be the same. But when you look at God, his promise hasn't changed. Receive. When you look at this, this will minister to you uh, discouragement, sadness, whining. When you look back at him, what his word, what his kindness, what his characteristic of faithfulness will give to you is if I said it, I cannot lie. Everything else will have to change to line up with it because God said it. He fully intends to bring it to pass. He needs you to be a channel and your prayer to be a channel through which his power can come to bring it to pass. Praise the name of the Lord. Can we just do something today? Can you come up and sing that song about standing on the promises? I'd, I'd like us just, um, we're going to just sing this song one more time. But in light of what we um, have just heard, today you're going to shake off discouragement. You're going to look away from what has made you want to cry, made you mad, made you sad. You're going to look away. Made you confused. You're going to look away and you're going to look, you're going to look to him. You're going to look to the promiser. You're going to look to the author and the finisher. Hallelujah. He did not lie to you. He wants to bring a harvest in your life. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Put your hands up to the Lord. Father God, we're just so thankful. Thankful for your promises. Thankful that your word is true. That you are a God that cannot lie. Faithful are you who promised, who will also do it. We thank you for it. Now, I'd like us to do this. We're going to start singing this song. And just in a personal, personal position, I want you, and your heart uh, indicates to you, I want you just to stand. But don't just stand to your feet. Stand on the promise. Stand on the promise. Stand that God is true. Hallelujah. Let's sing it. We're gonna see what we're praying for. Yes, 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 yes. We believe every single word stronger than we've ever
notice where it says stronger than we've ever been? I want you to sing stronger than I've ever been. This is you. Nobody can stand on your promises like you can stand on your promises. Just like nobody can stand on your feet like you can stand on your feet. Praise the Lord. You can stand on that. But it says stronger than we've ever been. That is not your strength. That's not your just your t- tenacity and bulldog determination. This is faith. And faith comes from hearing from God. That's why we're stronger. Praise the name of the Lord. So let's sing it again. Stronger than I've ever been. I am standing on His promises. you did you don't have to sit down and put your head between your knees but close your eyes i want you to see what you've been praying for and let's give glory to god hallelujah give glory to god give glory to god give glory to god hallelujah hallelujah thank you jesus i give you glory Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yeah. So that's what happened to Abraham. The Bible says he was strengthened in faith as he gave glory to God. Amen. 